Hello, and welcome to the How They Did It Business Podcast, where we share stories from the best in business. I'm your host, Alec Taylor, the founder of Diverse VC. Today, we have Dr. Ty Caldwell and Courtney Caldwell, co-founders of Sheer Share, the largest provider of on-demand salon and barbershop space rentals in the market. The Sheer Share app gives licensed beauty and barbering professionals the freedom and flexibility to rent workspace by the day in cities all over the world while salon and barbershop owners make money on unused space. Prior to Shearshare, Ty and Courtney owned and operated an award-winning salon in Dallas, Texas, which was the genesis behind Shearshare. Dr. Ty serves on the advisory board for multiple beauty schools and is a frequent guest lecturer at barber colleges and hairstyling institutes around the globe. His number one best-selling book, Mentored by Failure, a five-point guide to long-term success in the beauty and style industry, is often used for continuing education curriculum. Courtney recently received an honorary doctorate's degree from Miracle University and is the 33rd African-American female to raise $1 million plus in venture funding. Ty, Courtney, are you guys ready to take a deeper dive in your business? Let's do it. Let's do it. I love it. I love it. So I know we started talking a little bit about what was the reason for, you know, starting Sheer Share and all and how you guys were taking basically a manual process and turning it into an automated process. And I know that, you know, we chatted a little bit about you guys' backgrounds, but first I want to take a step back and and learn about you guys and where you all come from and the work that you guys did. So, you know, you guys have been entrepreneurs and leaders for years now. Can Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about the background that you guys have and how you basically got to where you are today? Well, definitely. You know, you want to go first, Courtney? Okay, mine's quicker than yours, I guess. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so I'm a military brat, for one. I was born in Santa Cruz, California. I know you're in Cali, too, Alec. And so Santa Cruz is really known as, like, the hippiest part of the country, and it still is like that today. Like, you'll still see some Scooby-Doo minivans driving by. But I think that's very important, although I don't remember Santa Cruz because my dad was a doctor in the Army. We moved around, obviously, quite a bit. What I do feel... It feels like home to me all the time. And when because I was born there, I feel like I have this like, I don't know, organic sense uh, or like connection to nature and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so just that having that grounding is important to me. But I was a military brat who moved around a lot, graduated from a military high school, ended up going into undergrad on an Army ROTC scholarship, but only did that for a year because I couldn't see myself doing that full time. Yeah. Although my family is like, our family is all uh, military for the most part. Okay. And then I worked in full-time ministry actually for three to four years. And then went back to school, got my MBA, and then the rest is history. I've been in B2B tech marketing mm-hmm. since then. And I am the oldest child of two. Wow. Very good. Can Me? you beat that, Ty? I don't oh, know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yes. I, I definitely can L- beat Listen that. to this, Alex. I, I am the seventh <laughs> of eight kids. Uh-huh. I grew up in a, a small town in Arkansas. It was 13 people in my house, one bedroom, three baths. No, no. Uh, what, three baths? No, three baths. Three bedroom, bath, one bath. One bath. One bathroom. Three bedroom, one bath. Mm-hmm. Fight. Um, Five, yeah. five very organized five generations my great-grandmother my yeah. grandmother my mom and dad mm-hmm. my sisters and brothers and then my oldest sibling had a child and so that was all of us for yes. a little while but learn how to cut hair by just really by necessity because you know <laughs> we we just had we were, we we had meager beginnings and so mm-hmm. my, my mom was a, a homemaker my dad the was the only one worked and so at the end of the day you know we couldn't go to the barbershop and the salon every week so I got some regular scissors that you know we use elementary school, ele- school scissors, scissors and i yeah. cut my brother's hair <laughs> oh, <laughs> like green and vape and like sky blue the fisker the fisker scissors <laughs> the fisker, yeah. yes <laughs> and i uh, realized that i had a knack for art uh, yes not just in in uh drawing but mm-hmm. had a knack for it with my hands and so mm-hmm. realized that i was good at it found out that my brother's friend had some clippers at my house, they were under the uh, under the bed in, in my mom and dad's room, and so I ended up trying those clippers out. Found that I had a really good skill. I was cutting hair at 11 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, realized that you know I was cutting my friends' hair, my teach the teachers at school, their kids, and so ended up you know moving in Texas at, at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. So my well, sister- I think that's important. Not not that you just moved to Texas. You were the only sibling that that mom and dad let go to texas on their own the yes. family stayed, stayed in-, in arkansas yeah. my mm-hmm. sister stayed in dallas mm-hmm. and they allowed me to move to texas mm-hmm. just by the opportunity for just you know i wanted to and i was yeah. a superstar athlete 
before I moved to Texas, yeah. won a state championship before I moved to Texas, sport letterman in three sports, track, football, mm-hmm. and basketball. Gave it all up when I moved to Texas and just focused on education mm-hmm. and realized that, you know, I really wanted to be a businessman. I always really dreamed about business. Uh, I was a great leader. I was a great influencer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so those were the skill sets that I really uh, took upon. And so I was helping my teacher with the kids after school. <laughs> I was talking and motivating kids. And by the time I was in 11th grade, you know, elementary kids. And so I took a knack for that, but I, I realized, okay, what do I want to do in life? So mm-hmm. I had this come to Jesus moment where I said, what do I want to do? Because I was going to community college and I just really didn't want to sit there. I just, I didn't feel <laughs> like that's something that I wanted to do. And so I, I had yep. this come to Jesus moment. I said, what, mm-hmm. what would I do for free that I love to do? But I really want to get paid for it. And I, and, and I got this voice came and said, do what you love. And mm. that's what's cutting hair. And mm. so I ended up going to a school where it was cosmetology and barbering school, got a dual yeah. license and uh, ended up working at this uh, salon and barbershop, managed it after the first year, mm-hmm. worked there for five years, saved up a, a buttload of money <laughs> and started my own salon and realized that even though I want to be a businessman, I didn't really know business like that. Yeah. So so I ended up needing running out of money within the first six months. And I asked my mom, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and I fought my way through it. But if Scary. I had to back up a little bit, <laughs> I never forget coming out of school. I worked in this salon. And the first day I worked in this salon, oh. I worked from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And I only made $10 that day. So I've had a lot of moments in life where I felt like I've just... Like, what am I going to do? Wheels are spinning. Yeah. You're not going anywhere, but you're trying yes. to move. Yeah. Yes. yes. And I say, yes. you know what? It, it, it's just a moment in time. Right. Stick with the process. Yes. And I stuck with the process. Ended up building this great clientele. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I was making so much money and, and mm-hmm. gave me the opportunity to start my own business. I started building a team at the other salon and barbershop that I, that I built and started building relationships, not just yeah. in the community with the Chamber of Commerce started doing speaking mm-hmm. engagements. I met my wife, you know, right when I started. And so mm-hmm. we got a chance to just watch this whole thing just grow. Yeah. And just the process that it took just to build a relationship with the banks, <laughs> build a relationship with the neighborhoods, property with the managers, property managers. It was a stellar experience to mm-hmm. say the least, because the growth of it, the uncomfortableness mm-hmm. that comes with growth, you have to be prepared to keep pushing. Mm. And, and that's one of the things that I really liked about it. But mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I really didn't like about it too, because <laughs> you got to keep moving even when you don't want to, yeah. and you're trying to figure things out. So I, what I really love about, you know, being an entrepreneur is figuring things out, yeah, uh, building relationships, using those relationships that, that I've encountered through customers, mm-hmm. clientele, you know, they know people. I've had bankers in my chair. I've had dignitaries in my chair. Mm-hmm. So just knowing the right people, that know the right people will continue to help me grow. So those were the things that really helped push me. And then after just being at the salon, we ended up writing a best-selling book, getting my doctorate degree, being on uh, the boards of several advisory uh, boards, uh, several barber and cosmetology schools. Mm -hmm. But just really that journey just allowed me to just stay within this same space. I've never done anything else Mm -hmm. outside of the beauty and barbering space. I never worked, you know, working at Walmart or doing Mm part-time jobs. I've done this the whole time my mm-hmm. in, in whole entrepreneurial life. And I wouldn't, I couldn't say anything bad about it. So when I meet people mm-hmm. who are just really jumping in and jumping back out of different entrepreneurial opportunities, mm-hmm. I tell them, you've got to stay the course because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're never going to know how this thing is going to pan out for you. So mm-hmm. my journey has been amazing for the most part, but I've had a lot of failures in it and a lot of successes. But I think the things that I've learned the most is stay the course. Well, you've all, you also say when people ask you questions that you cannot skip the process. You can't skip it. You can't skip the process regardless. And I love this generation because they have big eyes. They really do. And they, they have huge goals, but we try to tell people like you, no one is an overnight success. Yeah, I know everybody looks at Instagram and they see the highlight reel, but you can't skip the process. Everything is everything is with this new generation and with the Instagram mm-hmm. stuff. They think that it, it's nothing wrong with still sticking to that 90 day rule when it comes to mm-hmm. really seeing how businesses, the marketing dollars are working for you. Mm-hmm. But I think that they're focusing too much on the Instagram because I mm-hmm. think that's just a tool. Uh, business in itself 
it's a journey yeah. and you have to understand yeah. it's not Instagram. Business is not Instagram. It's human, Business, team, human right? interaction. Mm-hmm. It's really getting in the trenches mm-hmm. and knowing how to do it. If you're allowing Instagram to really show, think, make you think that you have to develop this type of entrepreneurial spirit through Instagram, you've already now messed up the whole analytics of the process. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's a, that's a really interesting point. So I, I do want to kind of pull us back and, and talk about a few pieces that you pulled out because honestly, mm-hmm. I think this is the time where I try to come in and, and highlight the pieces for everybody and some of the, the key pieces. Amazing stories to the both of you. But I, Ty, you have two pieces that were really intriguing to me. And, and it was right around when you were building your business, you're talking about how you had to build relationships with people from all different ranks and backgrounds and you know ways of life, right? And I think one of the questions that I'd like to ask you is I think you'd be able to offer something of value here and and Courtney as well. You know, why is it important to make relationships and build relationships with people from different spaces? And then after we understand why it's important, how do you engage these people? How do you creatively leverage these relationships? I think for some people, they may be wondering, okay, I might know a whole bunch of people, but how do I engage with these people? How can I creatively build these relationships? Can you touch on that a little bit? And then yeah. we'll come back to Sheer Share and we'll make sure to get that yeah. in. No, that's fine, Alex. <laughs> this is great. I, I, the first thing I would say is take media out of it. It's definitely just being social. Yeah. Being a communicator, being social. Mm-hmm. I think one of the great things about me is that I've always been a people person. Yes. I've always, want, I've always been a great communicator. Yes. And Courtney says, how do you get people to talk to you? Well, <laughs> the first thing you do is that you open the door to who you are to them. Uh-huh. So you give people the opportunity to be authentic with you because mm-hmm. you're being authentic with authentic they can feel with your them. spirit. And it's just really genuine. But you, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a great spirit. So it, mm-hmm. uh, certain things work for you, mm-hmm. that you don't, that don't work for other people. But I think that the reciprocity yeah. of communicating with people is really going to be the connecting point. So I guess working behind the chair, they always want to say that we're therapists, but I think that one of the things that really helped me is that when I met people, I always wanted to know about them. And so it's just having a great conversation because sometimes people don't really, I tell Courtney all the time, in the corporate world, you can't really be yourself. So (laughs) sitting in my chair, they would come and they could just really be genuinely who they are. They could turn off the noise of being this want to be person or this fake person that they have to be to connect with people there because <laughs> people don't really know who you are so I got mm-hmm. a chance to genuinely know people so if they worked at Chase Bank or if they work with the government mm-hmm. you know people mm-hmm. know people so I was connecting with people mm-hmm. in of, of the cloth the clerk clergymen mm-hmm. I was connecting with people who were in banks I was connecting with people mm-hmm. who were in the service and and those people understood and they would always ask me so what is your next thing to do what is your next mm-hmm. goal and I would tell them I'm looking to start my own business and that's how I was able to find the shop that I was at. It was through a client. Yeah, uh, the way that I was able to connect with the business was through a client. The way that mm-hmm. I was able to, Even banks. to the, the banks. Yeah. I mean, people, the people that I've done the best connections with and they built the most relationships with mm-hmm. were, were my clients. But at the end of the day, what I think is going to take is, it's going to take people that really understand being sociable, being mm-hmm. understanding, listening, mm-hmm. And just saying, okay, what do I bring to the table? People always want to know, how do we connect? And I think sometimes connecting isn't, Mm. it's not about me. It's not about, it's not about me. It's really about you. So I always made it about the client because I'm giving them a service. I want to provide a great service. And Mm. part of that great service is me talking to them. I don't just want it to be, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, giving you this service as a cut or as a color (laughs) or whatever. And then you just go and I know nothing about you. Mm -hmm. I built a clientele. My clientele after five years, I didn't have to pass out any more cards because my clientele built my built the rest of my clientele. Right. And people want to go to people that can really service them. So And people do business with, with people, people they, they like. like. And, yeah. and so I've always told people that, but I think that the connecting point is really one of the things of great communication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, love I think that you so said much. it all. I mean, I, I, I know always... I was- our mom always said you can attract more bees with honey than you can with vinegar. So <laughs> just show yourself friendly. You know, there, there really is something to the spirit of a person and people feel can feel your presence when you walk into a room, even before you open your mouth. And so be very conscious of that because you can either walk into a room and fill it with, I don't want to say negativity, but I'll just say not so positive positivity. Yeah, there you go. And so you want to make sure that, you know, one, you feel confident in yourself to open a conversation with someone that you don't know, and that you have something to give something to provide that could be helpful for somebody else. And people feel that and they want to be able to reciprocate. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
That's an amazing point. And just kind of running through all of that communication, being authentic, be good to people actually yes. genuinely want to learn about them. And I think that's why so many people, especially entrepreneurs tend to be individuals that are generally, generally curious individuals. Yes. Like, Hey, I just like to learn things. It doesn't even matter if I want to apply it or not. It's just cool to figure this out. Exactly. You know, a curiosity and then taking that. And then I think the other piece, and I guess the saying that goes along with it is, you know, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So yeah. you mentioned what you're trying to do with these relationships and it might not be a, 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 you might have to kind of finesse it sometimes on having that conversation. It might not always be that exact moment when you need to bring it up, but them just having a general idea of what you're trying to do once you've mm-hmm. built up that relationship. And this could honestly be in a first discussion, right? Of, yeah. Hey, you know, these are the things I'm aspiring to do. Hey, if you ever know anybody, just let me know. Don't put pressure yeah. on the person, but Hey, this is just, I'm just throwing it out there. You want to take it? Cool. If not, Hey, Enjoy your cut, right? Um, I, think people, then, I think people genuinely in the world want to help other people. They so do. I, just, I, I think that's just a na- the mm-hmm. nature of people. Tell so, them about that, the, the cold email that we sent that one year. Yeah, we sent a cold email to Joe Gibbio, one of the founders of Airbnb. Mm-hmm. He hit us back and told us to come visit him. And we had a chance to really tell him our story and <laughs> tell him what we were building. And it, he normally, he initially gave us 20 minutes. But he liked our story so much, he ended up giving us 45. And we learned so much during that time with Joe Gibby of Airbnb that we still use to this day at ShareShare. So, I mean, that was a cold email. Joe doesn't know us. We didn't know him. We just said, hey, you know, who do we feel the godfathers of the sharing economy are? Oh, let's go reach out to somebody at Airbnb. And look at that. I mean, people really ultimately do want to be helpful. So shoot your shot. I love that. Shoot your shot. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. There Um, you go. You miss them all. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're getting, honestly, this is such a fun conversation. I see so much (laughs) value in it just from like talking about personal skills, you know, and just understanding how important communication is to be able to help get or bridge the gap to wherever you want to be, but also just having a good life, right? That's so important. And we might have to chat about some of that Airbnb stuff in just a minute. (laughs) I want to move this conversation forward and I want to keep talking a little bit more about share, right? You started to allude to some of the things you picked up from the Airbnb. I'd love to find a way to toss it in there. But can you tell us a little bit more about your current company? And, you know, for listeners who might be hearing this for the first time, how you guys are impacting this industry and, you know, what kind of differentiates yourselves? Anything yeah, like that you. I'd love to hear. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Well, perfect segue because people in our industry actually nicknamed us Hair B&B, which is exactly what Sheer Sheer is, <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Again, this is our own problem to solve, right? But thankfully, we are helping other salon and barbershop owners who have empty space and stylists, oh. licensed cosmetologists and barbers who need space to work but don't want to pay a long-term contract. They are very scared, especially now that we're living in COVID times, of signing a long-term contract and not knowing if there's going to be a stay-at-home order that's going to require them to shut down business again. They don't want to work by commission because they're able to build their own business on their own terms. And so we give them access to professional, clean, safe, sanitized salon and barbershop space to work by the day. And this way we are helping 20,000 now stylists, over over 20,000 stylists now return to work safely. We're helping to keep small businesses open, the brick and mortar salons and barbershops that literally are in every neighborhood. Like you can think big city, little city, small town, country town, you're going to get three constants. You're always going to find a place of worship. You're always going to find a U.S. post office, and you're always going to find a neighborhood barbershop or mom and pop salon. And so we are everywhere. Our industry is everywhere. And we literally touch everyone and we're evergreen and we're evergreen and so when we think about what sheer share has been able to do especially in 2020 and as we you know hopefully crawl out of covid is that we're helping to get people back to work and we're giving them a platform to be able to build their business according to their terms Mm -hmm. and we're keeping small businesses open which is the backbone of the american economy our goal um, at the end of the day, like today, share is all about empty space, find a space. But we've also uh, partnered with Lloyd's of London to provide oh. another industry first. Lloyd's is yes. a massive bank uh, listeners. For Insurance. Those- They're amazing. They're an amazing group of people. But we challenge them because the way we see our industry going is exactly what you know all the researchers and the gig economy pundits are talking about now is that people want the ability to build their own businesses and they want to control their own destinies. And so why pay long-term for something that you don't use every day? And so we challenged Lloyds of London to uh, join us in providing professional liability insurance to licensed cause and licensed barbers by the day. So now people can rent space to work on the ShareShare platform and then get um, insured for five bucks a day, which is unheard of. 
a million dollars in coverage. And so those are just two things that we're using to help impact this industry that we love so much. Like we feel beauty and barbering is the best industry in the world. But when we think about the future of Share Share, it's all about like decoupling what you would think you would need or you would receive if you were like an employee at a, a large enterprise organization. You walk in and you get all of your B2B tools laid out for you. You get your retirement, you get your 401k, you get healthcare benefits, you get everything. But when you are a small business owner, when you are a solopreneur, a small business of one, where do you find this stuff? We know that our industry, there are places that are all over and it's so confusing and there's not one repository. And so Share Share aims to be that ecosystem that if you choose beauty and barbering to feed your family for a lifetime, we're going to give you everything you need. We're going to give you um, access to retirement, portable health benefits, professional liability insurance, retail sale through space to work, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on, but we're going to hand it to you and meet you where you are, which is probably on your mobile device. And we're going to allow you to partake of everything on a pay-as-you-go model. And I don't think that a lot of these uh, industry professionals, I don't think they really understand that now with social media, now with mm-hmm. everything the world is going, how fast the world is going, yeah. and how technology is taking over, that they're their own business, they're their yeah. own brand. And mm-hmm. so regardless if you are working as an employee-based or mm-hmm. if you're commission-based, mm-hmm. but we know that the independent contractors, at the end of the day, you still have to understand, you still need the tools, you still need the protection, you still need the business acumen Mm -hmm. and the business sense to be able to understand Mm -hmm. what you're doing and how you need to run your business. So we want to be that ecosystem. We want to have those products and we want to make sure that we first tackle the first problem that's right now empty space. 40% Mm -hmm. of salon and barbershops goes unused. So how are we going to now give these people the opportunity to make Mm -hmm. money on these empty stations? Because Mm Whether the, the, the salon that has an empty station or whether the stylist has a, needs a home, that chair needs to be filled and that stylist yeah. needs to be somewhere where their accoutrements that they went to school with mm-hmm. are already there mm-hmm. instead of working in someone's home, uh. in their garage, in an office, mm-hmm. in a hotel. You want to be where there's business. So I think a lot mm-hmm. of times when we have these deregulation laws is because a lot of these politicians look at what we do as a hobby right. and they don't really understand that these independent contractors, mm-hmm. these licensed professionals, because now we realize that a lot of these franchises, whether it be Great Clips, Sport Clips, mm-hmm. a lot of these uh, franchises are owned by people who are doing their second second career, yeah. who are opening up their 401k to buy, buy a franchise mm-hmm. and they know nothing about the industry. Mm-hmm. And so they're wanting to say, hey, you know what? They don't need all these, these, these hours to oh. be a licensed professional. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to deregulate something wow. that we had to go to school for. And mm-hmm. it's not going to really pan out well if they do that because we had to learn all the precautionary laws yes. when it comes to hair, skin, and nails. Mm-hmm. When COVID happened, they wanted to deem us essential. So we have to understand that as we're building share, we're building something for you. You can go in there and you can do business in Facebook and you can do business in Instagram, but there is not an ecosystem for these licensed professionals Mm -hmm. to go to and just say, okay, we're taking care of you and we have the tools and the necessities that's going to make it work for you. Yep. Wow. That is powerful. That packed a punch. I mean, shoot. Venture capitalists. I know you're listening right now. That's right. Hey, we're just getting started too. We're just getting started. I'm taking everything that's in my husband's head and we're about to leave a mark on this world like you haven't seen. Wow. I mean, if you guys aren't inspired yet, listeners, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else we can do for you. I'm sorry. Go check out Joe Rogan or something to learn about. I I mean, honestly, I mean, honestly, if if, if there are venture capitalists listening, (laughs) They don't really understand that this is going to the next level. We're taking yeah. things to the next level. This is where the industry is going. And this is where ShareShare comes in and take over. Mm-hmm. So I think something that actually interests me is, is the business model. So I've always been a guy who loves business models and ways yeah. that you're leveraging monetization and how you bring together different partnerships. For example, you were talking about how you're using Lloyd's Bank for the insurance aspect um, uh-huh. of your business and you're creating an opportunity, a low cost insurable capability for solo entrepreneurs entrepreneurs or you know entrepreneurs on a smaller level right now the the model is really interesting because you guys are placing yourselves almost as like a marketplace i guess uh-huh. that might be that's exactly what we We're are so yeah you know what I, i'm intrigued to hear is what do you, how do you view your business model in application to other people or to to beyond that of just the hair care beauty industry can you know where else do you guys see yourselves expanding to well, we see ourselves expand. We, we know that other businesses, because we've, we've built this platform, 
it, it could easily be white labeled for a lot of different mm-hmm. for a lot of different other in the industries. And we've been approached and already been approached to white label our platform to white label it. But we understand it doesn't really matter that you build a platform. Mm-hmm. It's the steps it go into and in making yeah. it work. You know, it's the connection point between the business mm-hmm. and the other business because everybody looks at B two C, where it's an Uber yeah. and where it's an Airbnb, where the business of a home or the business of a car connects mm-hmm. to the consumer. We're a business all the way through. Mm-hmm. So the, the brick and mortar is a business. The salon owner is a business. The And the stylist and the barber and the licensed cosmetologist is a business. Mm-hmm. So we're connecting those two. Now, essentially, we want to be able to consider a conceit component, which would be B to B to C. But we right now know that to tackle this problem mm-hmm. of B to B is really a major chunk. And to understand the communication there and to make sure that we're building that trust with our users. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if I drive in, if I ride in an Uber car and something happens or I don't enjoy my ride, I can complain all day long about the driver, yeah. but Uber is the platform that I trust. So I complain to them. We want people to trust the platform. Mm-hmm. So that's what we want to build it with. So if we can build our trust with the professionals, they're going to make sure that consumers are going to definitely trust us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So Taking the different components, I want to break your business apart a little bit because I think it's so intriguing. Talking more about the partnerships, what were the important pieces to, and and honestly, did you have a phased approach or the types of of information I'd love to hear? Who was the most important person to start with, to partner with? And then once you got that person, how did that build momentum for other things? Can you break Mm -hmm. that story down for us? Yeah. Well, I'll first start talking about building our team because most people think as they probably should, I'm not going to knock it, that I need to get, you know, a head of sales on my team, right? Somebody who's responsible for generating the revenue. Maybe it's a chief revenue officer. We did not do that. We know that the service industry operates a little bit differently and the minds of a licensed cause or a licensed barber operates a little bit differently. And so we know service had to be number one. We knew that because if the app wasn't perfect, right? or the app still had a couple of bugs or a couple of flaws in it or functionalities that that people expected, but it was not there yet to be seen, that our users would be a lot more forgiving in those moments as long as we provided A plus service or we call it brown glove service. And so as long as we did that, we knew we were going to be able to be a step ahead. And so we first hired the tech team, of course, to build the platform. And then we hired operations to handle the customer service and support. And so for a few years, a couple of years, that was really the core of Shearshare. Every day when we get on our daily standup and Ty spends five minutes chatting with the team and motivating everyone and everyone goes through things, the biggest rock that they're working on for that day, we always say, if we're not doing two things, then we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is write code, talk to users write code, talk to users. So for a couple of years, that was the entire mantra day in and day out. And and I'm sure our team could probably recite that. And so now we're moving into um, actually creating a marketing team. And now we have a product focused team. And so, and yeah, complete ops team. And we still don't have a head of sales. We did hire on a senior director of strategic partnerships. And that's more so that that is a revenue generating uh, position. However, it is more about the community building aspect still. That's really the underlying DNA of Mm ShareShare to help uh, continue to build support for our users for um, this industry industry to make sure that business owners are receiving the different tools that they need. And in some cases, like for example, like this conversation with Lloyds of London, that by the way, took two years. Like this was not a, hey, let's just cold call or send a quick email to Lloyds of London, uh, contact us page. And all of a sudden, bam, we have this created. There were a few things that had to happen in order for a company, the, the leading insurance provider to be able to trust, you know, a startup, right? Like such as Shearshare. And so we were courting them for two years and vice versa. And it finally came to fruition where we said, hey, I know you guys don't know beauty and barbering and we don't knock you for that. You don't have to know everything about our industry. We don't know everything about insurance, but guess what? We know what our users need. And so if you trust us to, to pioneer this product, Let's go ahead and do it because we, we know what our users need. We just need you to help provide that you know, to us on a silver platter. And I want to say this. I want to add mm-hmm. this because we talk about insurance and I think yeah. there's a lot of insurance providers out there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way that they're attracting them is by saying, OK, it's this much right here. And you're able to do get 50,000, 120,000 or even 200,000. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that anything can happen. Yeah. I've seen people pass out in chairs. Yes. I've seen kids fall mm-hmm. and hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. I've seen people, 
you know, get in, get in a lot of danger. So yeah. you got to make sure that you're covering people, mm-hmm. even if it's uh, even if it's someone's demise. Yeah. You can't cover someone if they're getting injured, if they're mm-hmm. getting you know, an accident, mm-hmm. if you don't have enough insurance. Mm-hmm. So how do you appease, not both users, the host yeah. and the professional, you appease them by showing them that you are entrusting them and you care for them by yeah. giving them something like this. And that yeah. takes a lot. And so for us to get this relationship that we courted with Lords of London mm-hmm. for two years to get that to be the fruition to come out of that, we were honored because it yeah. took a lot. It took a lot of information, a lot of on-phone calls, a lot of dating, a lot of dating <laughs> to get to that point. So you know, it's one of those things that we're proud of to say that we've done and accomplished. And that's just the first one. Get ready for a June of this year. You'll see a couple of other things pop up that we still can't chat about yet, but we're excited. Ooh, I love this. This is exciting. <laughs> see, this is the part where I'm like, man, you know, you said something earlier and it was, what is something you do that, that you do it for free? And uh-huh. like, for me, it's this podcasting stuff and <laughs> stuff like that, that just gets me juiced. I love well, that. You're stuff. great at it. So keep, oh keep it up. Keep it up. Uh, so we've talked about your business. We talked uh-huh. about your backgrounds. We talked about, honestly, the future of where everything's going, mm-hmm. how you guys went about building the business. You know, honestly, I, we've talked about so many amazing things. You talked about mm-hmm. how people should have like the different perspectives they should have on building a business, how you guys are literally the center of you know, building the next marketplace for all the beauty and cosmetic industry. That's right. You know, honestly, I think the thing that that I'm most curious about, because you guys are growing and scaling out so many things right now, what is your biggest challenge that you guys are experiencing as the founders and, you know, operate main primary operators of this business right now? Well, just making sure we don't quit and then not run out of capital. (laughs) And building. That's you know, his number one so job. It's simple, but no, it's like, it's very that, true. That's yeah. his that, number that, one that's, job. That's pretty much it. I mean, I think <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, people don't realize how much ShareShare has accomplished with such a limited amount of funds that we raised. <laughs> now we're right. very grateful and thankful that we raised what we raised, mm-hmm. but we're building a tech company. Mm-hmm. And so most people have raised a lot of funds. And so we've been very efficient uh-huh. and we've used our, we use these funds very carefully yeah. to build the way we have, but we also Another claim to our success is everybody that works for us are passionately want to be here. Yeah. So this is not just us hiring people, matching money for work. These yeah. are people that want to be here mm-hmm. and that really understand the vision of what the company's bringing, understand the leadership that Courtney and I are bringing. And also they want to see, they want to be on this journey with us. Yeah. So we're excited. So I think at the end of the day, where Share Share is, what we're really seeing as founders is that yes, we need capital. We're going to continue to need capital. Yes, we're going to continue to build and we're going to continue to grow. And we're going to also continue to be looking for more people, more employees that want to really be a part of a startup because we understand how fast we move as a startup and how things, how we have to pivot. And so this is not like moving, like Courtney says, the Titanic. This is actually moving a boat. So when it's time to turn, we turn in quick. Uh So it it, it takes the right minded people to to be a part of this process. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest challenge, well, maybe I'll say this disclaimer is that you know, we recognize that we are first Black founders in America, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a very unique experience just, you know, when we leave our, our our doors, our front doors every day. And so I say that because challenges seem to be a part of our daily experience anyway. And yeah. so like, I, re- <laughs> I remember when COVID hit. True. Very true. <laughs> I remember when COVID hit and everybody was like, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And we're like, this is just another, another day. day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so sorry. Another, just another day. And I, I do not try to discount, you know, the pain and suffering um, and losses. We've experienced some too that COVID has brought on this world. But I say that to say that, you know, there are just some things that are so innate in us being Black in America that it's just like, okay, it's another hill that I have to climb. So how am I going to climb up this hill? But all those other hills, you know, from last month and the last five years, the last 40 years, you know, have, you know, I have some pretty strong quads now. So let's get going. So for me, I think the biggest challenge some days is distractions because we are doing something so very unique and so very um, impactful that so many folks will, and it's, it's great. It's a wonderful feeling to have people reach out to us and have all this, you know, inbound inquiry about, Hey, how can we partner together? Some Mm -hmm. of those conversations lead to something very interesting and sometimes it doesn't. And so I'm very grateful that we have the right team in place to help us kind of continue to see the forest for the trees and say, no, this is not on brand. You know, this is, you know, Ty and I have 
have conversations about, no, that doesn't fit our vision. That doesn't fit the long-term, you know, mission for the company. So we have to, you know, say no. Like we said before, we say no graciously, but then we say, even though we say not us, we do say a but, Mm -hmm. but we may know someone who could help. And so it, it may be the distractions and just, you know, constantly being able to, you know, hone in on that focus. Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. And, you know, I think it would be doing a disservice not discussing being black founders, you know, I, I, and you definitely were spot on. And I think once again, yeah. like it needs to be said again, we're not trying to discount no. the experiences of other people because no. to each person, you know, something that might not be very important, you know, let's say, for example, uh, you know, losing a, a dog, you know, a dog might mm-hmm. die for someone. It's, it was just a dog to other person. It was my best friend. Yeah. Right. So very different experiences for similar things. But I think really just like talking a little bit more t- toward your experience. Right. There are certain obstacles or I should say almost like a level of anxiety that is consistent. <laughs> right. It's how would I, I would say, it, you know, I think you're running or your, your, you know, your strength or, or muscle kind of uh, analogy works really well. You know, it, I'll use running. I think that's easier for myself, at least. And it's if you're used to running a mile every day, running a mile is super easy, right? You're used to the pain. I guess yep. we'll use that to be the, this, the consistent yes, spectrum to use to measure. But to you know somebody who runs 10 miles every day, that pain level is very different, right? And then uh-huh. your, your ability to have the strength to, to push through that is very different, right? I think it was like that we were talking about earlier, the sensitivity to risk or the, the failure building your tolerance is very mm-hmm. different, especially when you're in an industry where not many people look like you. Not many people mm-hmm. are always able to open a door for you or you're building these relationships out as the, for the first time, because your family doesn't go back 80, 90,000 years mm-hmm. and have very deep relationships with families yeah. and can open many doors for you. I would just like to talk a little bit more about your experience as Black founders. You know, could you try to, you know, I don't know if it, it would make more sense, and I'll kind of leave this on your guys' side to talk mm-hmm. about the challenges you guys have faced, or if it makes more sense to talk about you know, some of the the ways you've seen that you've had to get creative to create the opportunity you needed to be successful. I'd love to to hear your guys' perspective on that. Well, I'll definitely go first because I think that Courtney and I do have two distinct stories, Mm -hmm. but because we come from two different backgrounds. So I think the thing that has been advantageous for us and which has really been a a strong dependency for me is relationships Mm -hmm. and communication because you know, coming from my background, I mean, growing up in Arkansas for the short time that I did, but getting a lot of foundation there, yeah. and I, I really understood the the power of relationships. And I saw racism right there. It was, so I understand racism. Racism doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. What bothers me about racism is when I doesn't when I don't know that I'm dealing with it, and it's just a smile. Mm-hmm. Racism that comes with a smile. Mm-hmm. I, I can deal with racism. The if check I know in a that, box thing that comes yeah, with you, yeah. like oh, we're gonna yeah. have this movement exactly thing, exactly. but we don't really care about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Burner. So, so you know, it's just it's really just focusing on how, my my gift is discernment. So yes. I think that's been one of the things that's been able yeah. to give mm-hmm. me the opportunity to really see past a lot of things that most mm-hmm. corporate people don't. As mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, I need to see everything. Mm-hmm. I need to really have a scope of the room, of the person, and understand that I can see through something that, that they don't think I can. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say, it's really been about relationships. Mm-hmm. When people were turning us down, talking to the investors and saying, is there another investor that you know that mm-hmm. will invest in a marketplace? Even if it's an investor that doesn't invest in marketplaces, can we talk to someone who's interested in investing in different types of spaces? Mm-hmm. So just taking the taking advantage of the relationships, but also making sure, because we went through 500 and they told us that the investor space is very small. Mm-hmm. And yep. so how you approach investors they're going to spread that information to other investors. So we always wanted to make sure that our set point was always positive, Mm -hmm. that we were always authentic, that we was always real, but at the same time, being honest with who we are. So approaching these conversations and these meetings very relatively, you know, how would I say it? Real. Because we've been in uh, offices with investors where they thought that when we walked in, that we should have been white. Yeah. And they were surprised that we wasn't a two, six foot white man that went to Harvard or, or that Stanford. went to Stanford. Yeah. So we've been, you know, we've been disrespected in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we knew how to handle that. Right. So the way that we built the relationships has always been uh, based on just who we are, real people. And Courtney and I have approached it 
in a mindset to say, we're going to do these together. We could have easily done them separately. Actually, as a matter of fact, everybody told us that when you go out fundraising, it should only be one person. One person. Everybody. I don't care who was we talked to, except our one advisor, Ms. Yep. T.D. Lowe, said, yeah, you should go in together. But everybody said, no, you need to do it this way. And, and the reason and that every they time said that, we bumped the system. And the reason that they said that is because we have two unique experiences about how mm-hmm. we're running this company. So when Courtney's mm-hmm. talking about it and then we realize and draw a contrast and they see exactly. a pain mm-hmm. point potentially for their yeah. investment potential yep. risk higher risk mm-hmm. means i'm not interested in investing <laughs> in your company exactly so <laughs> if one right. person go in there and they're saying okay well you know you, you run it with your wife they don't understand mm-hmm. the dynamic of our relationship so once mm-hmm. they see oh they really do have this really mm-hmm. great relationship, the dynamic you want founders support to have. that they have for one another yeah. is not just a married relationship, it's a right. great partnership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the first, very first time, I'm gonna take you way back to 500 Startups Days, the very first investor meeting we walked into and the gentleman made a comment about our race. Yeah, so this did. is before we even opened our laptop, before we even sat down and said we're shared. Can I pause for a moment and just say, sure. you know, when we're talking and, and the listeners, you know, some of you guys may not be uh, uh, able to watch the video version of this, but you know, when we're talking about, and I think you, you would see it on our face when we're talking about these topics uh, is the reason why I mentioned the video. You know, when we're talking to people who expected someone else, you know, you can see it in their body language. You can see yeah, it in yeah. the way that they're responding. Maybe they're more brief. They don't care and they don't give you the, the same energy they would for another candidate and it's not because you don't have the same capacity and you know there it could not be racism could have been the person was just having a bad day as well Mm -hmm. so i'm not going to discount the fact Mm -hmm. that there are a plethora of different variables that go into this but sometimes you know you get very used to something it's like you know if you get if you okay if you do a lot of speaking engagements you can get really good at understanding if the audience is engaging with you or something's off. It's just, it's almost like a a gut feeling, right? The same thing goes here. So I just wanted to kind of set that framework for understanding, you know, when we're talking about this discussion, these are the things, there's a feeling and it's very evident that it's not certain situations um, going on. So sorry to interrupt. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you guys. No, I'm glad you added that. And I want to say this to the audience as well. It's, it's, It's good that you set that, that precipice for them. Because I think that what people don't really understand is, is that when you do something consistently or haven't can, experienced, I think is another yeah. way. Ha- ha- haven't experienced something consistently, you can see things already. It's normal. It's a normal mm-hmm. behavior. And even if it's not negative, racist, you can see the disinterest. Right. You know, you can and so it. people get to understand the audience. We want the audience to understand that we're not just saying this about one instance. No, we've been doing this a long time. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, so we walk in, right, Alec, and, and we don't even prop open our, our computer yet, but this gentleman um, has received like a, a pre-investor deck, right? So he understands a little bit about the company. He at least understands it's a marketplace and it's for beauty and barbering. And so before he even says hello, he makes a comment about our race. And so in that moment, you can choose to do a few things. With my mother, I, I say she's like the biggest cheerleader in the world. Like she can make the smallest person feel so big. And so she really taught me at a very young age that optimism is actually a competitive advantage for many different reasons. We don't even have the, the time to get into it, but the things that it does <laughs> to your brain and how it grows brain stem. But anyway. The growth um, mindset alone, just uh, taking any challenge oh, and turning into an opportunity for you to do better. Yes. And, and believing it, it and seeing it before you actually do something. But now, optimism really is a core advantage. And so, you know, sitting in that room, we, you know, we feed off each other's energy all the time. And I know this yeah, man, it, yeah. you know, very well. And so we knew how to respond collectively. And so we just said, I could feel him internally just saying, we're just going to use this as a, a guinea pig. Like th- this is not going to be someone, even if, because he wanted to invest, but we were like, that's not the money. There, that wasn't, there be has taking. to be alignment beyond just the financial. Oh, side. It has gosh. to be someone who's willing to put their net. And I think Absolutely. just talking about venture capital investment. Just and, a good and first person. Off, venture capital is also just like calling this out more of a later stage. Your business is typically making money or losing mm-hmm. money for that matter. You're spending money <laughs> right. to grow it. Whereas you have angel investors or some people call it a seed rounds as well, which is kind of a gray area for investment where it might just be a high net worth individual investing in your company. Either way, the key thing to take away is that you don't just want an investor. And, t- and you know, this is what I'm seeing a trend from what the discussions I've been having with entrepreneurs and investors is that you know, people no longer in entrepreneurs no longer just want a paycheck and somebody to walk away. 
They want somebody who's able to offer resources, willing to put their neck out, willing to hop on that call and say, hey, buddy, you need to listen to them. And you're taking my, I guess, my rapport I've built and where I stand in the businesses and my, you know, career, whatever that may be, right? Your your brand and you're putting your brand on the line. And that's what a lot of entrepreneurs are looking for. And I think that's even more unique to diverse entrepreneurs and taking that uh, piece is really important. So sorry to interrupt, please. No, it's okay. No, that's very important what you said, because, you know, my husband, again, one of his gifts is discernment. And so he can walk into a room and say, that's not the person that we're going to, you know, partner with, because when you choose to add someone to your cap table, you're saying a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. One of which is I'm going to be in this with you. I trust you fully and completely, you know, for as long as I've known you. And I trust that you're going to help get me through some of these big hills that we're going to climb. Like our investors are amazing. Like there's not one individual Mm -hmm. that we can't call up in the middle of the night and have a really heart to heart conversation with. And we've had to have some really serious conversations with some people, not even just about the business, but especially about, you know, when George Floyd happened last year and just how racial relations are in this country and how we feel as founders. And, and some people would find that very difficult as a leader. Yep. Well, we were fine with, with knowing how to present messaging to our team members. And, and I'm, thankfully, our industry is so diverse, which is one thing I love about beauty and barbering. But finding the right people to add to your cap table, it truly is a long-term relationship. And so don't just take someone's money because you're like, oh, you know, it's an extra, you know, 25000 or 15000 or 250000 I'm going to, you know, cash a check and walk. Because because you want to be able to call on soldiers at the end of the day. Like, who's going to have my back? Who's going to grab that M616 and shoot this direction when I need them to do such? And so we've been very prescriptive about the people that we've chosen to add to our cap table. And I'm, again, I'm so very grateful that my husband has that gift of discernment. But going back and circling back to that story with our very first investor meeting, the aha, welcome to Silicon Valley meeting that we had, we had the you know 15 minutes or so of conversation. We knew that this was not an individual that we ever wanted to be connected with in that kind of way. And, and yeah, we walked out with smiles on our face. And we just knew too that, like Ty said, that the investor community is so small. We did not want to hurt ourselves in a reputation. Mm -hmm. And also we didn't want to hurt any black founders coming after us, especially another black married couple coming after us because there were so few of us. Like I, I can't even count on one hand how many black married couples there were. Do you know of anyone before us? No. I actually don't know. I know a lot that have come after us, which is good. But so many investors told us that, you know, VC firms would not invest in married founders. Yeah. And, again, I, we're... and, and that's a, a challenging position as well. And, you know, I think I do want to kind of redact one of the pieces I said that not all the time people want an investor that is more than just money. There are some instances uh-huh. where it is helpful or having that brand name on there. But, you know, moving back, talking about having that, having a, your significant other on your team, I think that the people see a massive amount of volatility because <laughs> if, you know, one of the founders were to do something and then that could potentially break down the entire operation of the business, right? You guys remember uh, earlier, you guys said you, you guys are focused on providing leadership and not stopping, right? Mm-hmm. And if a relationship, the personal relationship can get in the way of that, it can completely deter the, the business for, from being successful. I think there's a saying, never do um, business with your family or something like that. I don't and, know who said that, but they have not met the Caldwell family. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and, and I want to say this to the people that are listening and to you also. I think it works with partnerships regardless. Yeah. I think that people put a little too much emphasis on family. And because I think that if it's a partner and they really don't want that business to succeed, They'll do anything they can to tear it apart. Someone who's not married. Someone who's not married. Yeah, right. And so I think that at the end of the day, it's really about, do you know the person you're doing business with? Mm -hmm. And what is it about this person that makes you want to do business with them? Mm -hmm. So Courtney and I never did business together other than just supporting each other in Mm -hmm. our respective roles. Mm -hmm. And I knew what she was bringing to the table. And I knew that having someone like her, a part of this journey, it not just as a, um, and I told one investor this one time, she is my wife before she was my partner. Mm-hmm. So I kind of know what I'm getting myself into. And at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, you want to know that this person that you're doing business with, that's a family member, or that's a significant other that you can trust. Yeah. Because even though you got a partner, that's not a, a married co-founder, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can just trust them. So mm-hmm. you really need that trust factor. You need to build it from the foundation. Yeah. 
and time, I think time helps in that. Like if we're talking to people who are trying to figure out how do I find a co-founder, yeah. you know, time that you've known someone, like, have you been able to see, what do you say, baby? Like going through all the seasons of life with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Have you Ups gone through, downs. yeah. No, just going through, through springtime with them, summertime with them. What do they look like when a parent has passed away? When, when COVID strikes, like how do they respond to certain situations? Like being able to see their personality, not just on Friday when everybody is happy to be getting off work. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that's very important. Yeah. But, but for us, you know, I think about, you know, the things that we've already had to figure out, like we've already had to figure out how we communicate when we don't, when we disagree about something, we've had to figure out how do we move forward when we don't share that same perspective. We have to figure out, okay. The money issues. Financial, yeah. Financial, financial issues. Yeah. How do you, yeah. oh my goodness. And so for us, we're a sure bet because we've already ticked all those boxes. It's so interesting because investors would tell us as soon as they would say, we're not really interested in investing in married co-founders they would say but a co-founding relationship is kind of like a marriage it's like what you have that in us like i don't have to think about is ty getting more equity than i am i don't have to think about is he working as hard Which on this nice. as i am I don't have to think about, does he have this company's best, best interest interests. and each of our team members' best interests? I never had to think about those things. And so it makes running the business that much to me more, it makes it easier because there are certain, I think, stressors that could show up or pop up in a co-founding relationship that I never have to worry about. And so mm-hmm. we can just get down to the brass tacks of leading, share, and leading our team. Well, I was, I'll say this example. We were watching a show. We love to watch HGTV and it's, it's one show that we love to watch it's called Windy City Rehab mm-hmm. and so the young lady on there her and her partner were rehabbing these different homes and different yeah. you know different places mm-hmm. and so she found out one day that she couldn't get the money she needed and found out that the money was going to her partner's company and they had to and, and he was constantly pulling he was laundering money. money he was laundering money to his company mm-hmm. they had to split she had ended up having a bad relationship with the bank Mm -hmm. and she ended up losing a lot of deals, Mm -hmm. not only money, but relationships, trust. Mm -hmm. And it was terrible. Mm -hmm. So I think that when I see stuff like that, I tell people all the time, do you really know your partner? Yeah. And I'm sure if we go back and try to figure out who said that quote about never do business with your family, it was not someone who had done business with their family and done well. It was somebody who had the raw deal and did not have a good um, experience, but you can make it so that it's a good experience because it's, it's another relationship. It's another relationship. It's another opportunity to grow something or yourself with someone else. And why wouldn't I do that with my family? At the, at the end of the day, I can have a knockdown, drag out fight with him. And I know he's not going anywhere. I know he's not going to post something crazy on social media. I know that he's not going to sue me. I know that he's not going to just talk bad about me to one of our team. I just, I know that. And so it makes the relationship that much more open and safe. And you know, what's really interesting is uh, I'm pulling out a couple of things here. One, the sophistication of each other, like understanding where each of you lie from a skill set standpoint. Oh, yes. Your maturity Mm -hmm. individually and together. So I think one of the things that my my girlfriend and I, you know, we talk about a lot is how we're interdependent. We're both independent individuals, but when Uh we come together, we are interdependent. Uh There are a lot of people who have relationships, and this is kind of my second point, insecurities that other people have because of their own personal experiences. I think you were alluding to that at one point, Mm -hmm. you know, other people have had experiences where there's an independent person and then there's a dependent person. Mm -hmm. And that alone can be kind of one of the the pieces that feathers, right? Right. Um, Very taxing. And the last two pieces, understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, this isn't a personal thing or, hey, you know, these, this is where we are in so many other pieces. And I'll, I'll kind of wrap up last two pieces. I know I said two pieces before, but I, I found that <laughs> I have some more things in here. This is good. Do you really know your partner and buy-in? I think those are huge. You know, I was just thinking about my partner right now for Diverse VC. And I was like, there's a lot of things that, you know, we've gone through and tested each other on and, you know, holding each other accountable and so much more that's, you know, beyond that. And I can only imagine how much deeper being in a, a relationship like your own for such a, a long period of time, not to age or anything like that, but just like okay. the depth of We're knowledge like a fine wine. Can be something that is actually a superpower and absolutely yes. just getting better like wine. I that's love it. right. 
I, I love that. I do feel like we have a, a superpower. I do feel because, and actually one of our investors, when we, we kind of stalked her, um, <laughs> Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital, way back in oh, the day. Wow, she, I love Arlen. She's fantastic. She, we, yeah. we really did stalk her. She's a wonderful lady. We absolutely love Arlen. And that's, that's actually another book that everybody should pick up. It's about Backstage damn time. Capital. Yep. By Arlen Hamilton. And so we were sitting in front of her and it was during South by Southwest, you know, when we could all actually get together and not wear masks. What? I've never heard of that. I know it was BC. (laughs) And so circa 2017. And so we were chatting with her and she said she was going to give us 15 minutes. We ended up speaking with her for like 30 minutes. But anyway, and during the course of that conversation, she looked at us and she, she too has a strong gift of discernment. And she said, I don't know what it is, but there's something magical between you two. And I, I want in, I want to support that. And so that has always um, sat with me because we, there are many people who have seen our dynamic and just spend time with us and family members, friends, whatever. And they say the same thing. And so we don't take that for granted, not one bit. Yeah, very much so. And it was kind of framed this way from my father about what is an ideal relationship. It's a push and pull. So while one of you is pulling the cart, if we're looking at like a horse and carriage type of setup, a person's pushing while the other person's pooling, right? Yeah. Helping each other get up the hill type of thing. And you can definitely see that bouncing together. And it's absolutely amazing. Now we're getting at toward the end of this podcast. I want to talk about two final things. Okay. Diversity. Now, here at Diversity C, our core values are definitely aligned with diversity, whether it's from ethnicity to gender, accessibility, industry, you know, personal religion, criminal backgrounds. There's so many different yeah. pieces to define diversity. And we kind yeah. of allude to that more in our in you know our programs that we're talking about with diversity and you know our diversity consulting. But with that piece, I'm super intrigued by your guys' experience. And I'd love to, to hear from you guys. You know, where do you see the greatest need for diversity? Or if that might not be the best way to frame it, maybe I'll give that one to uh, Ty and then Courtney, you know, how have you seen leaders address diversity in the workplace? That's good. I think the greatest need for diversity is, is, is really in black and brown founders. I, I really do. Yeah. I think that they are really mm-hmm. overlooking. If you go back in history, a lot of the uh, patents, a lot of the inventions as slaves, they couldn't own their own patents. Mm-hmm. And so the, the white counterparts, either took them and owned them. And so given the opportunity, because we, we have such uh, rich knowledge, rich wisdom, we've created so much. So I think that if we're going to just fast forward to the day, I think that people need to understand that it's not our white counterparts that are just building great things. We are building great things, small and large and all in between. I think that so given the opportunity, you really should bet your money on people who can't get to access to capital. So having those investors who are out there saying, hey, you know what, I'm looking for that white male who goes to Stanford, Harvard, MIT, and say, hey, you know what, there's someone out here that has a problem, they're trying to fix a problem. Yeah. And so if, they're, if they need that capital, how can we find them? And that's why we're so happy to be connected to Steve Case, the Rise of the Rest mm-hmm. uh, uh, Foundation. And so it, it gets to a point to where you realize okay, who are these people that are overlooked yeah. and why are they overlooked yeah. and, and the journey that they're going through. I remember talking to Barbara Cochran at, at a business insider event, and she mm-hmm. says she only invests in, in, in people of color that, that come from heart hardships and begin hard beginnings yeah. because she knows that they're going to work hard and she knows that they're going to figure things out and not people who've been spoon fed. And so that meant a lot to us. Mm-hmm. And, and that really spoke volumes to, to, to who she is as a, as an investor, and someone who's had her own hardships herself and being a woman. So we think that at, at the end of the day, if our black and brown founders and, and these investors can really find a way to connect to those people who need that capital and access mm-hmm. to capital to open their open their hearts and open their wallets and to provide that, that access to capital. Yeah. I mean, just invest in what the, com- the country looks like, yeah. right? Yeah. Examples that I've seen are actually... You know, when I mentioned before that we would always bet on ourselves, Mm -hmm. it's interesting that these two examples I'm about to give you are actually startup founders who are actually share a portfolio investor of ours. Mm -hmm. So one is Denise Woodard of Partake Foods. She makes the best vegan cookies and now vegan pancake mixes, I think. She is just now in Target, which is a huge deal. Jay-Z. Jay-Z just invested in her company. I mean, she's 
killing it. So Denise um, actually does an internship program to make sure, because we all know that talent is not assigned to just one color, right? Mm -hmm. But access to those opportunities, sometimes that unfortunately is the case. And so um, she has partnered with some HBCUs to make sure that she gives students who are interested in consumer packaged goods or CPG industry an opportunity to intern and learn as much as possible about it, because maybe they want to be the next Mm -hmm. Denise of Partake Foods, and maybe they want to go on and, you know, work at, you know, wherever. And so I I love that example because she puts her time and effort into the next generation. And then the second example I'll give you is Harold Hughes of Bandwagon phenomenal CEO. And he's sitting in the same chair as we are, as we are, but Harold also does something very interesting. He intentionally invests in other startup founders. So not just, you know, I'm going to give you my time and my quote unquote mentorship, which please mentorship is, is not something that we need. We need access to capital and we need help hiring folks, but he actually invests his money. So it's so funny that he's, you know, investing in so many other companies that are in the same, you know, kind of trajectory as his, but he is doing that because he wants to see a change in diversity and be able to pay it forward. Because when these companies pop off and become the next unicorn and they're all writing their S ones and they can go live, you know, and be actually invested in by the public and IPO, he, he's changing the way that generational wealth looks. He's changing the color of that one um, investment at a time. And so I love that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to add to it. I don't want to corrupt it in any way. That was absolutely <laughs> immaculate. Moving forward, final question. Mm-hmm. Obviously we're human here. I think you guys have done an amazing job displaying just like your genuine nature. But I want to talk, you know, outside of the office, we've been taking a deep dive on business, on uh, relationships, on investment, on mm-hmm. so many different topics, perspective, et cetera. Just kind of kind of scaling back for a second, you know, we both, we're not robots. We like to get outside of the office and uh-huh. do things. Yeah. I love to, to hear, you know, do you guys have any hobbies, extracurriculars, or even projects oh, yeah. to get your mind off work and get Definitely. you reset like that Santa Cruz Buddhist? Yeah, honestly, we love to travel. We we're, do. We're, we're, we're big people who like to move around and we love yeah. to climb mountains. So anything we can do outside, <laughs> anything outside. Like that vitamin I, I, D. Yeah, they- we love to climb mountains. We love to climb mountains, <laughs> and and it, it is so funny. It's almost like just doing a startup. But yeah, we love to get away, and get, we're in the flatland of Dallas in Texas. Unfortunately, and so unfortunately, so <laughs> to get outside of anything like that is going to be a, a rich excitement of adventure. And uh-huh. so we want to make sure that we're always taking advantage of that. But we love to travel. Yeah. We love to travel overseas. So once we can, you know, get some. COVID travel over international, we're going to get that done. But that's one of my things, yours? Yeah, I think it's important that we expose ourselves and our kids continually to different environments, different cultures. So definitely travel. But I was going to say my hobby is therapy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me in on this one. Let me in on it. Therapy, I, you know, talk therapy, you know, chatting with someone, you know, who you're not working with day in and day out, somebody who, you know, maybe you have, you know, challenges or baggage, whatever you want to call it, being able to talk with someone who is an independent third party. I mean, it, it, there's so many different thoughts behind therapy. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't always had a positive stigma, um, especially in, in Black communities. And so, it took to me a while. It should, by the way. Yes. Like, I Mental this. health. It should is be something. So important. Mental health is so important. Like that, everything starts there. Everything. Like if you're listening to the words coming out of my mouth, again, everything starts with your mental health. And so sometimes you need assistance in unpacking trauma that you may not have even known is locked behind closed doors in your mind. And in order for you to level up and get to that next level in business and personal relationships, just in being a better person mm-hmm. yourself, a better Courtney, a better Ty, a better Alec, you, you have to have someone to help guide you to unlock those doors, clean out the trash. And then if you want to close it back and lock it, you can, but at least that'll be a choice for you. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's my hobby wow. <laughs> besides those, traveling. Those are, yeah, those she does really like cool. it. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. I, and I think the only piece I want to pull out there is there's a reason basketball teams, football teams, and I, I mean, it's sports for me, I guess is kind of my mm-hmm. default to, to, yeah. for this example. Um, but there's a reason there's a coach to be able to see what's yes. going on and help yes. them navigate the playing field and and that's another way to look at it right we have coaches in so many different ways just because this is a mental thing is there's no reason to look at it as 
you have a major issue, perhaps it's just you needed somebody to give you a little bit of perspective to guide you around certain obstacles. We all could use that. All could use that. I'm actually going to add another one because we are vegan, Alec. And so I think one of our, yeah, one of our homegrown sports, because I know you love sports so much, is trying to figure out, you know, different recipes. So if we have a hankering for like, I don't know, a barbecue sandwich, we'll try to go find a recipe that is vegan friendly and try to do that. And so we all will always try to outdo the other and finding different things to cook for the family. Okay, y'all got some mac and cheese recipes. We do, we do. And actually, I think our favorite, would you say, is the vegan Butterfinger bars? Yeah, we got the vegan Butterfinger bars. Oh, we got it. We got it all. Phenomenal. Yeah, anything that you can think of, we've probably cooked it several times because we've been vegan for many years now. I need the repository. I need the link. I need this. No problem. You got it. You got it. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, thank you, you guys. Honestly, Ty, Courtney, amazing conversation today. I'm so glad. And, you know, I know this was a longer one for the listeners, but I think if you unpack this and you really digest the different topics that we have here today, it will genuinely help you guys understand, you know, how to, to better, you know, run your business, understanding relationships and so much more listeners, and even just some of the challenges that people have. Once again, this is the perspective of a small group of people in this conversation, but so many others have different experiences. So this is just one of the many flavors of ice cream that are out there, right? I like that. So I love that so much. Ty, Courtney, I want to create an opportunity for you guys to share with the audience what's going on in your world, how we can help you. Feel free the floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Well, please um, follow us on Instagram. Uh, we actually share everywhere on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. So do us a favor and follow us there. And then if you have any questions, guys, our email is open. Ty and I love to do that because strangely, people actually don't follow up and send questions. And so my email is just Courtney at Shearshare.com. And his is just Ty at Shearshare.com, T-Y-E. Um, and then our website is Shearshare.com. And please, if you have, which I'm sure you do, your personal hairstylist, nail technician, massage therapist, makeup artist, um, braider, microblading artist, barber, please all direct them to download the free ShareShare app. It's available on both Android and iOS. And I'm Dr. Ty at IG, D-R-T-Y-E Caldwell. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Ty, Ty Caldwell, Caldwell on IG. On IG. I yeah. love it. I love it. Doctor, doctors, Caldwell's, <laughs> Caldwell family, ShareShare extraordinaires. I can't thank you enough for coming on today's podcast. Honestly, you guys are inspiring, not only from the relationship that you guys have built, but to the business you're building, to the perspective you have, and to the life that you live. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and definitely going to be getting some of those recipes from you guys in the future. <laughs> you got it. You got it. It's been such an honor. Thank you so much for thank inviting Thank you so much, on. Alec. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, listeners, that's all we have for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you got one piece of advice, learn something new, have a new perspective, or you just feel inspired, I count that as a success. Please make sure to follow ShareShare on all the different platforms, as well as following up with Diverse VC. Reach out to us on our podcast, email podcast at Diverse VC. If you guys want to have a new guest, share something with us, give us any advice or put any questions in the, the uh, email for us to answer, uh, ask our next guest. With that said, I'm your host, Alec Taylor, and hope to have you back on our next episode of How They Did It Business Podcast, where we share the stories from the best in business. See you soon.